Now, this is a number that will perhaps come as no surprise, but it still should never lose its capacity to shock. In 2020, there were 201 Indigenous victims of homicide in Canada, 81% of which were men. Indigenous men in this country are seven times as likely to be murdered as non-Indigenous men. And overall, Indigenous people represent 5% of Canada's population, but 25% of all homicide victims. And as I mentioned, 81% of those are indeed men. But the plight of men and boys has not seized the nation's attention in the same way as the cause of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. After the federal government launched a national inquiry into the root causes of systemic violence against Indigenous women and girls back six years ago, and that was part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's 94 Calls to Action. As those calling attention to the situation of Indigenous boys and men are quick to point out this is not about diminishing the ongoing efforts to raise awareness about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, but simply to call attention to the other side of this, men and boys, uh, and change the perception of Indigenous men and the root causes that has them leads them to engage in violence or to become victims of it. With more, joining me now is Jason Gobale. He's a program director with the Dakota Ojibwe Child and Family Services in Manitoba. Jason, thank you for your time tonight. Yes, bonjour. Good evening. This is a an interesting topic, because you're right, it's one we don't talk about much, but it's certainly one of those one of those that we should, because uh, as the statistics show, and behind all those statistics are stories, obviously, of human lives lost or violence committed. Mm-hmm. Um, but this began as a personal story with you as well. You had an experience where you were the victim of violence and it could have led to something else, but instead um, you found a different path. But tell me a bit about the story itself. And no one came to your aid. It's, it's, it's a really, it's, it's an awful story, really, Jason. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, we often talk about that, that origin story that exists within a lot of our men. What was that changing factor in life that made you either go left or go right or either get really mad? And for myself, it, it was 30 years ago. Uh, when I was 16 years old and happened to be out for a bike ride and and got into a bit of an altercation and stopped by a couple guys in a truck, uh, forced into the truck after getting beat up a little bit and driven out towards uh, the city of Winnipeg. So I was driven out towards the highway, thrown out on the highway and left for my own. Um, So it was uh, one of those moments where when you're that far away from home, and this was a time well before cell phones existed that you just don't know what to do. And and when you're in that sort of a situation, panic takes over. And then you look to what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? So at that moment, I just knew I had to walk the opposite direction in which I thought I was going. So I started walking. And by the time you reach that pay phone, and there used to be pay phones that existed back in, in, back right, in the early 90s. Right. And they were up on the, up on the highway. But it was already four o'clock in the morning by the time I had reached that highway. And, and knowing how much my body had been stressing and how much my 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 own mental health had been really depleted at that moment, it was just a cry for help uh, and, and a call out to to some friends to to at least hear me out and come help me. And right. it was amazing to 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 be able to go through that and to, and to kind of survive through that in, in a bit of a way to not only just see the dark side, but to, to almost want to give up. And, and I think yeah. that a lot of our men in those situations where they find themselves in that panic or in that state of panic, it's just too easy to give up. It, it's too easy to throw in a towel. It, it's too easy to throw up your hands and say, okay, I've had enough. I, I give up. I guess this is what I'm supposed to be. This is who I am. This is how society sees me. Uh, and and, and just, really, basically, yeah. based on the color of our skin. 
Right. You were just 16. No one helped you. I mean, I remember that was the part of the story that, that I found so awful as well as not only were you what not only were you the victim of violence and left out on middle of nowhere to fend for yourself, but no one stopped to figure out if you were okay too. They saw you wandering on walking along the side of the highway and no one thought to stop and say, Do you need a hand? Yeah. Well here's a here's a young young boy. Uh, windbreaker jacket, uh, jeans, you know, just out for a bike ride that night. Uh, and lo and behold, here he is walking down the side of a highway with a swollen face. And and for hours, it felt uh, that I was walking and not one person. Uh, and you try to wave that help, but it doesn't come. And it didn't come that night for myself. So it, it was almost a, that moment of disparity where do you just give up? Do you just yeah. sit down? Do you just accept, you know, the, the fate that's in front of you? And uh, for something inside of me, it was to keep pushing and, and to make it home. And thank God I did. Yeah. And, and you were just such a pivotal age, right? 16, you're looking at the way life should be. You're still full of hope in many ways. Um, this this really could have had a real impact on you for a very long time. How did you work your way through what would have followed, which would have been a lot of, I imagine, a lot of anger, a lot of a lot of uh, doubt about what was going on yeah. and why you Fear. were... Yeah, yeah I, I think for that first, you know, half year, almost a full year, I, I really didn't want to do much. I didn't want to go anywhere. I really didn't trust anybody. Um, I watched every situation I went into. And, and at that time, too, being a 16-year-old and growing into that 17- and 18-year-old body over the next couple of years, I, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to be the bigger person now. I, yeah. I'm going to instigate wherever I can. I'm, I'm never going to get pushed like this again. And and I did that. And, and it really didn't open up very good doors for myself. It actually put myself in a lot more scarier environments uh, and uh, untrusty uh, peoples that, that were in my circle. But, you know, it was that, that realm of just being accepted. It was that realm of just trying to wear uh, a shell of toughness. Uh, but at the same time, too, I was I was hurting on the inside. I, I wasn't who I was. Uh, I wasn't who I was supposed to be. And, you know, if it wasn't for my uncle uh, in Ontario calling me home and calling me back to ceremony, um, I don't think that my, my life would have turned out the way that it did. Yeah, tell me about that, because because something very, something supportive happened for you at a time. I know, I mean, at, back at that age, it's not like you talk about your feelings anyway, right? I, I, I remember being yeah. 16, 17 and in very different circumstances, obviously, and still you if that had, you never talked about that stuff, right? How did you manage yeah. to find your way out of it and, and to get off that path and to find something more positive? You know, once you, uh, once you answer the call, and I, and I love saying it in that way because often a lot of us are, are hearing that ring. We're, we're hearing the calls that are coming, but we're not answering them or we're not ready to answer them, or, or we're, we're still pushing that away, whether it be culture, whether it be ceremony, whether it be tradition. You know, we, we grew up in this mainstream society where Indigenous peoples are, are looked at in such a terrible light, uh, especially being an Indigenous man, that, you know, you're, you're not too sure what to expect or what's out there and what's in front of you. But I got to tell you, when, when you enter that lodge, when you embrace that culture and, and embrace that tradition that comes with understanding who you are, as indigenous and rooted within indigenous roots and, and, and really understanding that part of your spirit, you start opening up your eyes in a different way. You start walking in a different way. You start looking at the world in a complete different way. And at the same time, too, when we're growing up in a, in a, a world that's so full of challenging intergenerational traumas that our grandparents have been through or that our parents have been through, we seem to carry those on. But at the same time, too, 
we need to understand that now in today's modern world, we're also at a pinnacle time where we can break those cycles. We, we can change a new path. We can show a new light and we can offer that next generation that's walking behind us a better way of looking at who we are as Indigenous peoples and where we place ourselves in today's society. Because I guess in that experience, you took back a bit of what was lost in, in that truck that night, right? You took, you took some of that back. You know, I, it's, there's been many kind of those side battles that we're going to face as you go into adulthood uh, with our young men. But it's how we choose to go into that battle. It's, it's how we choose to use our words uh, rather than using our fists. And I think that that's quite often a place where we as men in general, and in more, in more cases, us as in, Indigenous men, don't know how to take ourselves in that good way and position ourselves in a proper light where we can make good choices and smart decisions that reflect us in, in a good and compassionate way where we walk with our heart in our hand. And then you spent time since really trying to encourage others to follow in, not necessarily follow in your footsteps, but to see what you saw to, to, to follow. How has that, how has that been? I mean, it, it must be difficult. I mean, it has to be difficult work, but um, how has it progressed since, uh, since back then and to now? I mean, this is 20 years ago, right? So it's, it's yeah. you've been doing this for quite a while. Absolutely. Well, that case was actually 30 years ago, you know, so, 30 years ago, Robin, I'm, yes, I'm, the 90s, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now. So yeah, yes. when we're, when we really start talking about the, the changes that I saw in my own life, but more to that, how can I help others? How can I help young men? How can we instill supports that never existed 20 or 30 years ago, where that could have really changed the lives of so many other men uh, had they had had the supports of their brothers? had the supports of their uncles, had the supports of their grandfathers a little bit more prevalent and seen within society. And what we've been able to do now through the program that I'm leading with Dakota Ojibwe Channel Family Services, this Ohitka, this Ogijiba program, where we speak about those warriors, we speak about that, that society that once existed in all of our nations. We're waking them up. We're reminding ourselves about who we are and the roles that we play, not only just within our homes, but within our communities and within the societies that we live because we're not just survivors anymore. We're thrivers. And we need to be part of that changing narrative out there on the supports that are needed for men. And one of the beautiful things that we're seeing here through the child welfare work is that we're really changing that narrative of how we look at supporting dads. And that's another thing that we, we need to really start looking at and talking about because a lot of the circles that I sit in with those, those men, that's one of the very first questions we talk about is how were you fathered? And that in itself opens up so many doors where a lot of us might have had dads, but we might have also had absent-minded fathers or dads that weren't necessarily within the picture of our homes. So we learn from those uncles or we learn from those, those brothers or we learn from those men that associated themselves within our families or within our realms. But sometimes those men, as, as much as they gave and supported us, they weren't always the greatest of role models. So now we have an opportunity here, especially in 2020 and 2022, since, since starting this program, in changing that narrative for the future and setting forth a new path for the next seven generations that are actually going to be healing in that way that our men can talk, our men 
understand what it means to be indigenous. Our men understand what it means to be Anishinaabe, you know, and, and to center themselves not only with who they are, but with spirit, with ceremony, with with their customs and traditions, and be proud uh, of carrying on these words and these legends and these tales and these stories, not only for their children, but for their grandchildren and for the children that are, have yet to come. Jason Gobel is with us. He is the program director with the Dakota Ojibwe Child and Family Services. And Brandon, I believe you're in Brandon. Sorry, Jason, I got, think I got that wrong earlier. Um, we've been talking tonight just about the work Jason does to try and bring, to break the cycle of violence, both as victims and as perpetrators uh, for Indigenous men in uh, Manitoba, specifically where he is. But also, this is spread out. I gather you have something called the Beaded Tie Campaign, which has been picked up in other provinces as well. Tell me a bit about that, Jason. That's right. Well, you know, when we look at that, uh, that value and the balance of our delivery of supports and services, not only just through the agency in which I'm working for, but quite often we, we, we talked about those supports, right? The supports that are in place for our, our children, the supports that are in place for our women. And, and more to that, we've really raised our concerns and, and issues around our murder and missing Indigenous women and, and the campaigns that stand behind them in Canada. And one of the things that we all always looked at and I was following for a number of years was the Moosehide campaign. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity for, for men and men right across Canada to show unity when it came to, to standing up against violence towards women and children. And for me, I looked at what's another way that we can talk about that same support, but at the same time too, remind ourselves about balance. And, and quite often in the circles and in teachings that we receive as Indigenous peoples, we, we reflect on that balance delivered both from men and from our women. So when it came time to really looking at where we stood with our red dress campaigns and, and understanding too that part of our funding came from the Movember Canada and the Movember Foundation, where again, we're, we're using that one month of the year to grow mustaches and talk about men's health, I looked at this as an opportunity where we can wear beaded ties made by artists in our communities. And again, it changes that narrative around the local water cooler. It it changes the narrative about what you're wearing. And it raises the question of why are you wearing that? Well, let me tell you why I'm wearing this. And let me tell you not only about that, but let me tell you about the artists that put their prayers and put their thoughts and time into the creation of this small beaded tie in which I wear on my lapel. But more to that, let's talk about the number of beads that are in all of these ties and then reflect on that same number that we look at within the statistics of our men who are victims of homicide, who are reflected not only within crime and and areas of of bad choice and bad decision-making, but also the number of our men who are incarcerated right now. Mm -hmm. And when you really think about all of those high areas that we don't talk about, we often just associate it to criminal activity or or homicide or, you know, uh, poor judgment, uh, you know, how do we change the local stereotype of how Indigenous men are perceived, not only within community and society, but within the media? And I think that we've got a lot of work ahead of ourselves to do that. And one of the beautiful things that we've been able to do with this beaded tie campaign is start talking about it. And that's one of the things that us as men 
can start leading and being a part of as well too is is sharing those stories sharing those commonalities within the stories that most of us have within our own families most of us have heard these stories of, of murdered and missing indigenous men within our neighborhoods or within our cities or in our communities but again we don't talk enough about it so let's raise our voices in unity let's stand together you know, from one end of Canada to the other end of Canada. Let's really take this to the next level and talk about how we can start implementing these actions, much like the program that we're running, that are being a little bit more proactive, that are starting to instill those those moments of prevention that we can really nip the button before it even starts to grow into something that is disastrous or toxic. Let's offer these men an opportunity where they're seen and reflected and remembered and commemorated at that same time too, much like we did yesterday with our Sisters in Spirit Walk right across Canada. We, we took to the streets. We raised our voices as community. We reminded not only our families, but we reminded politicians. We reminded community members. We reminded our allies who stand beside us that this is something that is not going away. And if we can't talk about it in a good way, then how are we supposed to talk about it without raising our fists, without raising our anger, without raising protests? How else are we supposed to get that word out there that the needs and the supports for men are just as important as they are for our women and for our children? Jason Gobiel, and, and again, with this, so many other issues that you've mentioned, the, the incarceration rate, the suicide rate, substance abuse, all of these things seem to lean back or lead back to the kind of work you're doing. Jason, thank you so much for joining me tonight and sharing uh, sharing your work and teaching us more about the Be to Tie campaign as well. I look forward to seeing it grow and flourish. Miigwech. Um,